0: Well, good evening. Let's return to Daniel chapter 7. But wait a minute, preacher, this is Thanksgiving week. Aren't you supposed to give us a message on being thankful? Okay, here it goes. Be thankful you're not up here trying to teach Daniel chapter 7. Well, we began this chapter last week. And there's a lot to consider. As a result, there are a lot of varying opinions out there on what all is being communicated to us here in this chapter, and I wish I could tell you that I have all the answers, but I don't. And I admittedly, I'm still growing in my understanding of this chapter. And I hope that doesn't trouble you. Remember, Daniel received a dream and visions. and These are from God. It's a prophecy. And all we have considered so far from his dream and visions are the four beasts. And you really should listen to last week's message to get what... All was said about these four beasts and all of that. Um, I believe that these four beasts represent the same four kingdoms that we studied while looking at the image in Daniel chapter 2. And if this is the correct interpretation, then the beast like a lion with eagle's wings in verse 4 of our chapter represents the Babylonian empire. The beast like a bear in verse 5, would represent the Medo-Persian Empire. The beast like a leopard with four wings in verse 6, represents the Greek Empire. And finally, the dreadful beast of verse 7, which is given no likeness, would represent the Roman Empire. And I don't think I've mentioned this yet in this series, But part of the reason I believe the interpretation here of these four beasts are the Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek, and Roman kingdoms is because I see these four kingdoms as one of the main emphases of this book. We've already seen all four of these kingdoms mentioned in chapter 2. I believe we are seeing all four again here in chapter 7. In chapter 8, the Bible clearly tells us that the ram and the goat represent the Medo-Persian and Greek empires. And I'm of the opinion chapter 11 also takes us through the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And I'm just saying, I'm not sure that we're meant to completely break away from seeing these four kingdoms as we progress through this book because to me, they seem to be a reoccurring theme. However, I'm not suggesting that there isn't more to more that we can understand when we begin to compare scripture with scripture. And I touched on this at the close of last week as it pertains to this fourth beast. Is there more that we are meant to see with this fourth beast than just the Roman? empire, or maybe I should say just the old Roman empire, is there a future fulfillment with this fourth beast as well? And last week, I emphasized how the context of the little horn of this fourth beast that, that rises, it comes on the scene within the fourth kingdom. I, there's no denying that. There, there is no fifth kingdom or anything like that. I believe the Bible's clear. Therefore, if the fourth beast is the Roman empire, then it stands to reason there would be someone from within the Roman Empire that would have risen up before our time that would fit the bill as the little horn. And I mentioned last time how there was an emperor named Justinian and how he's a good candidate to consider as being the little horn. And you would really need to listen to last week to get all that. I don't have time to recap all the reasons why. But you're not going to hear that a lot as a possible fulfillment because there are some very obvious similarities with this fourth beast and the beast of the first half of Revelation 13. And so the question becomes, is this fourth beast, does it not only represent the old Roman Empire, but does it also represent a period of time to come in our future? And does this speak of the one that we call the Antichrist? And I say the one we call the Antichrist because, believe it or not, the phrase the Antichrist never shows up in the Bible. But we use it like it does, and I'm going to use it like it, like it does because that's what we're used to hearing. If you wanted to be more biblical, the question would be whether the little horn of the fourth beast refers to the man of sin, the son of perdition, or the beast. Well, let's read about this fourth beast from Daniel 7, and then let's compare what we read about the beast in Revelation 13. So here in Daniel 7, let's read verses 7 and 8, 19 through 21, and then 23 through 25. The Bible says, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now look at verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from... All the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. Now would you look at verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth, now he's getting the interpretation, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings." And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. So, remember all of these beasts have come up out of the sea. We saw that in verse number 3. The fourth beast has ten horns This little horn that appears is given a mouth to speak great things. It makes war with the saints and prevails. And with this in mind, listen to the description given to the beast of the first part of Revelation chapter 13. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns, ten crowns, and upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. The beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power in his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is likened to the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things. And blasphemies. and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all the kindreds and tongues and nations. So, this beast in Revelation, it also rises up out of the sea. It also has ten horns. It also was given a mouth to speak great things, and it also made war with the saints and prevailed. And I forgot to mention that in verse 25 of Daniel chapter 7, when it says times or time and times and dividing of time, that most likely means three and a half years. And that's the same amount of time given to the beast of 42 months of Revelation 13. And because of all these similarities, many see a portion of this fourth beast in Daniel as having a fulfillment in John's beast of Revelation. And and I'm using those terms lightly. But at a minimum, people would say, well, there's probably a double fulfillment If if you're unfamiliar with that, it, it would mean that there would be one fulfillment which was going to be in Daniel's future that would take place under the old Roman Empire, but then there might be another fulfillment in our future, and a lot of people use the term under a revised Roman Empire. I'm not against that idea, not entirely. There are some things we will still need to consider tonight from this chapter which certainly is language of end times. So I'm keeping one foot in that camp. Amen. And I'll also tell you that I'm not quite ready to go all in because there are some differences as well. For starters, the beast in Revelation has seven heads. The beast in Daniel has only one head. There's also no mention of the little horn in the beast of Revelation. And yet, that's the main reason most people say, see, that's the beast. Because they equate the little horn with the Antichrist. And they say the beast of Revelation is the Antichrist. And there's differences in the overall description of the two beasts. So to be honest with you, I'm not, I don't have a dogmatic position yet. But here's my current opinion. <laughs> I think these are two different beasts. I believe the fourth beast of Daniel 7 remains in the context of the old Roman Empire while the beast in Revelation 13 zeroes in on the one we call the Antichrist. They are similar, but I believe they are distinct. Just because we find similarities between the fourth beast of Daniel chapter 7 and the beast of Revelation 13, I personally don't see why this has to mean they're one and the same. We're all similar tonight, but we're all different. Currently, I am of the opinion that the beast of Revelation 13 will actually be a conglomerate of all the four beasts of Daniel chapter 7. That all of the beasts of Daniel will be wrapped up into this one beast in the Revelation. And here's why. Remember how the first three beasts of Daniel chapter 7, they are likened to a lion, a bear, and a leopard. The beast of Revelation 13 is like a leopard, but it has feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. And the ten horns of the fourth beast in Daniel, there's also ten horns of the beast of the first half of Revelation 13. So, what I'm telling you is there's aspects of all four beasts of Daniel chapter 7 found within the beast. Of Revelation 13. I see how it appears to be that this beast in Revelation is going to incorporate all that is evil from within these empires of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans. They will all be manifested in one beast. Now, you're welcome to disagree with me, amen? I won't be mad at you if you're not mad at me. Well, I still won't be mad at you because I can't now that I'm a pastor. It's cramping my style, amen? And I don't mean this to sound the way it's going to sound, but I'm not going to lose sleep if you disagree with me. I'm still going to sleep well, praise God. Ultimately, your opinion and my opinion doesn't change what God intends it all to mean anyhow. (laughs) And to be clear, I'm not against studying it intently. I'm just saying... So when all is said and done, I'm not sure that we need to be so consumed with the identity of these four beasts or the identity of a future Antichrist for that matter. It's interesting here in chapter 7 when we look at the interpretation that Daniel is given of these four beasts in verse 17. Look at how very simplistic this is. It says, these great beasts which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. That's it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I get to laughing because God gave us an interpretation that is like one sentence. And there are volumes written over the identity of these these beasts. A lot of division. A lot of heated debate. If you had no knowledge of any eschatology, anything about beasts, if you had no knowledge and you came to Daniel chapter 7 and you read this by itself, I think your, th- your, your thinking might be something like this. I don't know about these four beasts and I don't really know what all it all means, but I can gather this much. It looks like I need to be found on the side of the one called the Ancient of Days. Because he's the victor and apparently I need to be somehow identified as one of these saints because they inherit the kingdom. These four beasts, our kingdoms, are cast down by the Ancient of Days. He establishes an everlasting kingdom which can never be destroyed. And as I just said, His saints will inherit His kingdom. So... Forgive me for my simplicity, but it sure does seem like so long as I'm on his side, I'm on the winning side, and therefore I really don't have to worry about the four beasts. I I know I'm upsetting some of you prophecy buffs right now. You're like, oh, no, 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 I just went to a YouTube channel on it. (laughs) I don't have to fear a little horn because I'm on the winning side. I'm not saying it's not concerning. Look, the little horn had power to make war with the saints, and he prevails. I get it. But what is my life? It is but a vapor. It appears for a little time, and it vanishes away. And, and what did Jesus say? He said, look, don't fear man who has the power to kill the body, but fear the one that can kill the body and soul in hell. I believe our attention should be more upon the identity of the Ancient of Days and his triumphal power and whether or not we are one of his saints. Amen and amen. Let's look at him a little more closely by reading verses 9 through 14 of Daniel chapter 7. I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame as concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. As we read those verses, we need to be reminded of what we covered in chapter 2. Remember, after the head of gold, after the chest and arms of silver, after the belly and thighs of brass, after the legs of iron, after the feet mixed with iron and clay, there appeared a stone cut without hands. And that stone smote that image and essentially ground it to powder until the wind carried it away like chaff. In fact, go over to chapter 2, let's just be reminded of this because it parallels what we're we're looking at here in chapter 7. Chapter 2 verse 34 Thou sawest till that a stone was cut without hands which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and brake them to pieces then was the iron the clay the brass the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone smote the image or excuse me and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth now look at verse 44 and verse 45 and in the days of these kings shall the god of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So there's definitely a parallel between... These verses in chapter 2 and what we're reading about in chapter 7. The stone is said to have appeared in the days of those kings. And we know for certain Christ appeared during the time of the Roman Empire. Just read your New Testament. In chapter 2, the stone crushes the image. The wind carries it away. And then an everlasting kingdom is established which shall stand forever. And that stone becomes a great mountain and it fills the whole earth. In chapter 7... The thrones of the four beasts are cast down. Their dominion is taken away. The Son of Man is given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And His kingdom will never be destroyed. And the saints shall inherit His kingdom. And so I believe that both of these chapters are describing the same thing. The kingdom of God. Amen. And we see in chapter 7, there is a judgment. And God is the judge. Hallelujah. Psalm 37, 13 says, The Lord shall laugh at him. For he seeth that his day is coming. <laughs> Man, I tell you, if you just get a hold of some of this, it's almost humorous. You understand, God's not intimidated by any. Come on now, that's where we take laps and amen and raise hands and shout. He laughs at his enemies. Don't forget how all earthly kingdoms, all earthly rulers have been given their authority by God. Jesus looked at Pilate and said, You would have no authority if it were not given to you from my Father. God raises up and He casts down as He sees fit. Now the reason why I take no issue with this fourth beast being representative of the end of of the time and of the Antichrist is because of the language in verses 10 and 11. We see at the end of verse 10 that the judgment was set And the books were opened. This definitely fits the description of the time of the end. Revelation 20.12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. We also see at the end of verse 11 that the fourth beast is killed, and his body is destroyed and given to the burning flame. Well, this goes right along with Revelation 19 and time verbiage. Revelation 19, verses 19 and 20, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. I don't know that this judgment in Daniel chapter 7 has to be at the time of the end. Because where are the wicked dead now? Are they not burning in hell? So I don't know that it necessarily has to be at the end. But I certainly cannot ignore the fact that this sure seems to be speaking of final judgment stuff. But here's what I think is most important. God is keeping a record in His books. God is the judge, and no beast or power can ever usurp God's authority. There's no power or kingdom that can overthrow God's kingdom. And as children of God, we need to take comfort in this truth. Whether or not you and I understand every detail of how God is going to bring about everything in the end, we can have peace that our Lord is coming again, he wins, and we are not appointed under wrath. Now, one of the reasons I keep having issues with the timing is because of verses 13 and 14. Notice in verse 13, it says, Daniel beheld one like the Son of Man who came with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days. And what most do is they immediately jump to the end and Christ's second coming right here. Let's slow down, and let's read this carefully. Is the Son of Man, who we know to be Jesus, is the Son of Man going from the Ancient of Days or coming to the Ancient of Days? It's clear Jesus is coming to the Ancient of Days. Instead of this being a reference to Christ's return, I personally think it makes sense that this is a reference to Christ's ascension. Jesus will return in the clouds one day, but He also ascended back in a cloud. Acts 1.9, And when He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. Well, where did Jesus go after He ascended? He went to the Ancient of Days, or God the Father. Verse 14 says, When the Son of Man came to the Ancient of Days there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. Now consider these verses. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22, Which he wrought, speaking of God, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Hebrews 1.3 says, "...who being the brightness of his glory," speaking of Jesus being the brightness of God, "...and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins," sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high Hebrews 10:12 but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down on the right hand of God 1 Peter 3:22 who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him and so Jesus doesn't receive his kingdom At the end. He's already received his kingdom. In fact, he delivers up a kingdom at the end. He delivers it to God. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then cometh the end, when he, speaking of Christ, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. And so I'm just telling you tonight, Christ isn't waiting to receive his kingdom. He, has, he already has a kingdom. It's the kingdom that you and I are born again into. Colossians 1:13 says of God, "Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." Well, how are we translated into his kingdom if he doesn't have one yet? He's got a kingdom. And there's a lot more I could break down here. I think much of what's left here is clear. God wins and His children inherit the kingdom. Now, if you don't feel like you have this all figured out, then join the club. Hey, Amen, we'll get some jackets made up or something. I mentioned last time, I'm not even sure Daniel had complete peace about all of this. Notice what Daniel writes in the last verse of this chapter. As for me, Daniel... My cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel's cogitations or his deep thoughts or his grasp, it literally means to grasp, his grasp on all of this troubled him. So much so that it changed his countenance. And he kept the matter within his heart. And immediately we're reminded of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She pondered things about Jesus in her heart at his birth that she was told. And then they find him at the temple at the age of 12, and Jesus explains to her, I've got to be about my father's business. And the Bible says that she kept those things in her heart. What does that mean? She didn't fully understand it all, but she was chewing on it. She, she wanted to know. She had a desire to know. And I think that's probably the idea here with Daniel. I'm not sure he understood it all. But he kept the matter in his heart. <laughs> Boy, I could get on a soapbox right there. You know, a lot of times we just need to keep our mouth shut because we don't have the answer. <laughs> no, you got to hear my opinion. No, no, no. Just ponder it sometimes. Chew on it. I don't know that he understood it all. He kept it in his heart. He was going to keep meditating on these things. Because he desired to know, but he did not fully know it yet. That's my opinion. In the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, I rarely quote them, but I thought this was a good good thought here about his cogitations troubling him. It states this. Uh, It states how this shows that the Holy Spirit intended much more to be understood by Daniel's words than Daniel himself understood. And I thought that was pretty insightful. And that's the sense I get here as well. He's obedient to pen what the Holy Spirit is leading him to pen. Lord, I don't know if I fully understand it all, but here we go. So don't feel bad if you still have questions from this chapter. I would encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. um, That he would open your understanding, that you might understand the scriptures. And if you want to spend a great deal of time studying all this to figure it all out, then I think that's great. And I certainly encourage you to study the Word of God. But please don't get so caught up in all the debates that in the end you you miss the point. That you end up missing the most important part of this prophecy. And that is how great our God is. Remember that the plain things are the main things and the main things are the plain things. I hope I can say this right, and I hope it is received right. But there are those who are so consumed with eschatology that it's all they ever get out of the Bible. For example, <laughs> I chuckle, there's this guy on YouTube, right? <laughs> and We're on there now, so I shouldn't laugh. but <laughs> There's this guy on YouTube, and I don't go looking for him, but it pops up, I guess enough people click on him. And in the background, there's a whiteboard, and he's got all of his prophecy stuff on there. And I was looking for some sermons for a particular section of the book of Acts that we were going through at the time, and this guy popped up. And I thought to myself, there's no way he's going to be able to take that passage in Acts and make it all about prophecy and end times. And sure enough, he did. And in the process, he completely missed Christ, he missed the point of the scripture altogether. There are those who are so concerned with finding the Antichrist in the Bible that they are missing Christ. I will show that to you clearly when we get to Daniel chapter 9. All I'm saying is don't get so wrapped up in trying to rightly divide some prophetic timeline that you miss spending time with the Word. Don't forget to see how great God is. Make sure you see how, how high He is. See Him high and lifted up in all of His glory. Spend quality time with the Lord and just let Him know that you love Him. Make sure you're growing in your daily walk, that you're being conformed into God's image. I don't think God is all that impressed with all of our opinions anyhow. I believe God would be more pleased if we would pray, read the Bible, be faithful to attend church, learn to give faithful, and witness to others. What did God say? If you've done it unto one of these, the, the least, you've done it unto me. i notice how some people are so consumed with the end time prophecies, you can find them passionately defending their positions, but they can't compassionately plead for lost sinners to come to Christ. And they can't lead them through the Romans road. But by God, they've got an answer for all the four beasts and the little horn and how it relates to Revelation and all this. Are you witnessing to people? Now, by all means, study. Amen. Amen? I'm not against that, and I want to learn more, and that's why I study, and you pay me to study. Amen? But don't miss Christ. And don't lose your heart for the lost. Those that I know that are wrapped up in this, that I'm friends with, they have a heart for the lost. Yep, they got a lot of knowledge, but you know what? When all is said and done, I want you to know Christ is your Savior. And so let's just keep that in mind. Amen? All right, let's pray.